0: Riviera Radio Business News.
1: Morning, Hank.
0: Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm very well, actually, although I played paddle at the weekend, which I was telling you about the end of last week, which is a lovely game. It's somewhere between, I guess, tennis and squash. It kind of hurt my back a little bit. It turns out, after not doing anything for 20 years, then playing, uh, playing two and a half hours of paddle is not a great way to get back into sport. But I enjoyed it, but I, I'm feeling the pain of it this morning.
1: Oh, well done. I keep meaning to try it. But it's very popular down here on the Riviera, uh, so well done you. Uh, right, taking a look at the markets from last week.
0: Yeah, last week's news flow was very much dominated by weakening economic data, rising recession worries and hawkish central bankers. However, global equities rebounded on Friday on early signs that longer-term inflation expectations are starting to ease back, particularly in the United States, and hopes that recession fears may be overdone. Stocks rose as investors tentatively try to take advantage of cheaper valuations. Strong rally on Friday helped to snap the weekly losing streak. On Wall Street, the S&P 500 rose 6.4% over the course of the week, but it's still down 14% this quarter. In Europe, the stock 600 rose 2.4% over the course of last week. Bond market's 10-year Treasury yield fell 11 basis points over the course of last week to around 3.12%. Today, of course, the yield is still up 1.63 percentage points. In commodities, after an aggressive rally during the course of this year's fears over weakening activity has pushed prices lower over the course of the past week with oil, copper and wheat all coming off their recent highs. So if you look at the Bloomberg Commodity Index, it's fallen 4.3% over the past five days. It's now 9.4% over the course of this month, but it's still up 31% over the course of the past year. Of course, economists will be watching those numbers very carefully, indeed, because it's been a key driver in terms of inflation and its impact in terms of central bank policy. So any sign of uh, an alleviation of some of the pressure that we've been seeing there will be seen as good news in terms of the economic outlook.
1: And the UK data continues to deteriorate.
0: Yeah, there was a raft of disturbing data that showed the cost of living crisis continuing to play out. Inflation continues to rise. The GFK Consumer Confidence Survey fell to a record low of minus 41 in June, while British retail sales volumes contracted by half of 1% in May. UK inflation we saw uh, last week accelerated to a new four-decade high in May, CPI printing at 9.1%. Lots of concerns, of course, about the impact that this is going to have in terms of the consumer, we do know that the Office for Budget Responsibility is forecasting the real disposable incomes will fall by around about 2.2 percentage points during the course of this year. That would be a record decline in figures that go back to 1956. So lots of economists translating that into what it means for the UK economy now, suggesting, or certainly some economists suggesting, the UK economy could experience a recession. We're not at that point there, but of course the risk have been rising quite substantially, certainly see the UK economy stalling over the course of the next 18 months to deals with higher levels of inflation, higher interest rates, tight labour markets which are partly a factor of Brexit and of course the rapidly rising tax burden in the UK all taking its cost.
1: And it's a top news story in the business news this morning, the Russia default debt
0: yeah, Russia has defaulted on its foreign currency sovereign debt for the first time in a century. This is due to tough sanctions and, of course, the shutting down of payment routes to overseas creditors. Over the course of the past few months, Russia has been able to overcome penalties imposed after its invasion of Ukraine to make payments, but yesterday it failed to make a $100 million interest payment due on May the 27th, and the grace period has run out as well. No real surprise, it has to be said. The nation's debt has been trading at distress levels since the start of March. Central Bank's foreign exchange reserves remain frozen. Its biggest banks are blocked from the global financial system. Russia has called the process afar, saying it has the funds to pay. The default, they're saying, is caused by external factors. In terms of mark is actually pretty symbolic, quite frankly. I mean, normally if a country defaults on their debt, of course, it reduces their credit worthiness, makes it impossible for them to raise money in global financial markets. Well, Russia isn't in in a position to do that anyway given the sanctions that have been put in place. Little spillover as well, not a huge amount held by international investors. I think the figure has been put somewhere around about 20 billion dollars. So, in terms of impact for markets, uh, certainly less than that headline would suggest.
1: And what are the chances of it being resolved? I mean, does it just become a stalemate situation or
0: yeah, it feels that way. Uh, you can't see Russia being uh, allowed to interact with the global financial system anytime soon. Russia, of course, is pivoting towards non-sanctioning countries. They have been able to sell their fuel in the likes of, I think, China and India and uh, and beyond that. So it's not like uh, that uh, they haven't been able to raise those foreign funds, but uh, certainly not able to make those payments coming through. But the reality is I think Russia will be frozen out of the, as I say, its economy will remain isolated and it will remain frozen, at least from the West's perspective, for many years to come, certainly until this uh, this issue is resolved. All
1: right. And um, finally, foreign exchanges, please, Hank.
0: Pound against dollar coming in at one twenty two and a half and a half this morning. Euro dollar coming in at one oh five. you You're going to get 1 euro 16 cents for your British pound this morning.
1: Okay, and a a quick question. I mentioned it earlier on at the beginning of the show. Uh, On this day, if you can tell me the year, Barclays Bank, they opened their first cash dispenser. I want to know the year and where did they open
0: it, Hank? Oh, I can tell you this, actually. I want to say it's Enfield, and I'm going to go for the year. It's in the 1960s, actually. 66 is, um... uh, Find an answer, or do you want to phone a friend? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go 1967,
1: Enfield. Absolutely right. Well done, Henk. There you go. You
0: see, do not test me on my (laughs) Barclays knowledge. When you cut me, I bleed blue.
1: (laughs) Have a great day, Henk. Speak to you tomorrow. Have a good day. Bye. Barclays Private Bank has been in Monaco for 100 years. Since we opened our doors here in 1922, we have enabled our clients to invest in tomorrow and to influence it. Drawing on experience, insights, and ideas to help them create the world they want to make possible. And we're only just getting started. 100 years in Monaco, 100 years young.